0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices, so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the gospel of the Lord. Jesus, would you honor yourself today through our time around your word and through our time to be served by you around your table? Thank you for feeding us, thank you for teaching us, thank you for dying for us, living for us, and raising again for us. Draw us into your presence and unite us to one another, we pray in your name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Mark's account of the resurrection is the shortest of all of the gospel accounts that record these events, and Mark seems to just get right into it and tell you what you need to know. Several people have wondered, why does Mark's gospel end as abruptly as it does? It ends with people being afraid. We think of all the days of the year to be excited. Easter's the day to be excited and amazed and exhilarated, not afraid and in terror, Like some of these individuals there on the first day finding an empty tomb. But it would help you to know why there is a little bit of terror going on here at the tomb. It's not every day that someone that you witness dying is being told to you by someone else several days later, that person's not dead, he's been raised That all by itself ought to put a little bit of fear into you, but I want you to put yourself specifically in the place of the women the day they first go to the tomb and discover that Jesus is no longer there. You see, the religious establishment of Jesus' day, in cahoots with the Romans, had declared a verdict about the person Jesus. He was a criminal. He was a sinner. He was someone who was far outside the will of God, and therefore their honoring of God resulted in them putting him to death. You can imagine any follower of Jesus and the reason why on the night that Jesus was arrested, every single one of his followers fled, it's because none of us like to be in a position where both a religious establishment that we are surrounded by and the actual governing authorities both see our friends and the people that we follow as threats. It's a short line between seeing you as a threat and wanting to to remove you as well. But here's what's remarkable about Easter Sunday morning. The morning that these women go to the tomb is that Jesus is not there for he has been raised. Now what this tells me when I look at a story like this is I say to myself, wait a second. Is it possible that some people have decided a verdict about Jesus that God says, I disagree with your assessment? And it is possible. The resurrection on Sunday morning is God's declaration to the world that that life that you decided was unrighteous, that life that you all decided deserved a death actually didn't deserve death. In fact, God's decision three days after Jesus was, was, was killed on a cross to raise him from the grave is to reverse everybody's ideas about what righteousness in God's kingdom actually looks like. And here's the kicker for us. The church today, this gathering, every gathering all over the country, all over the world that is celebrating Resurrection Sunday on this morning, we are a community of believers who gather together and experience resurrection power in our own midst. And the temptations are so great for you and for me. And we've looked at this for several months now in our church. We've looked at what the creation was supposed to be and now what sin has done to corrupt this good creation and how God always has to reverse our normal ways of imagining the world and reshaping us in the way we think about things. But what God is doing ultimately through the resurrection of Jesus is he is reshaping our narratives entirely. We like, like Paul or like any of the Pharisees from the, from the first century, like to imagine that there's like an in crowd and then there's an out crowd. But here in this scenario, the in crowd was the one who put Jesus to death. And so what Paul and what many of the New Testament writers are doing is they're highlighting the fact that what is the kind of life that God will honor in the end? The resurrection declares for the entire world. Jesus' kind of life is the life that is pleasing to God. Paul, in multiple places through the New Testament, will speak of resurrection power. In Ephesians 1, he promises the church that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Paul's prayers for the church in Ephesians chapter 3 indicate that our strength from God comes when we position ourselves as people of weakness, recognizing one fundamental truth. And this would be a good question for you to pose to yourself both today and any day. And it is this, where does God pour out resurrection power? He pours it into one place, onto the cross where his son died. And the church's invitation for each of us and for the world is that we and they can also experience resurrection power when we join Jesus on the cross. It is an invitation to us all to embrace the humiliation, the shame, and the weakness that Jesus embodied because on Resurrection Sunday when God brings him back to life, that is now the life that you and I have the opportunity to participate in. If you were here on Good Friday, and even if you weren't, You know that when Jesus has a crown of thorns placed upon his head, he is in fact allowing the curse of the fall to be placed on him. There's a fascinating passage in 2 Corinthians, which many of you may know, but Paul brings together both an image of thorns and an image of resurrection power. Let me read both for you as Paul begins to rethink the way he looks at his own life the life of the church, and therefore what God has called the entire world into. Here's what Paul says. Paul has received a vision of the Lord, and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul repeats himself, to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me from swelling up and thinking that I'm something more than I am, to keep me from getting a big head, to keep me from arrogance and pompous attitudes towards the outside world. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. You see, what Jesus introduces to the world is that it is the way of suffering, shame, humiliation, and death that brings new life. It's not running away from shame, running away from humiliation, running away from suffering, and running away from death. Jesus wasn't playing a game with death. Jesus stared death in the face, allowed death to do its worst to him, and when Jesus was raised from the grave, I want you to listen to me, he literally put death to death. Death took Jesus into the grave, and what came out of the grave? Jesus. So where's death? It's still in the grave. We experience death physically. We experience death socially. Some of us experience death mentally when we can't remember what we did yesterday. That was a joke, by the way. (laughs) There you go. Some of you are awake. This is excellent. Jesus takes the curse down and he leaves it there. So when he comes back to new life, he is free of those constraints and can give his new life to whoever he chooses. And so here's what a friend of mine, Tim, says about what Jesus has done. Because God poured out resurrection life on Jesus when he went to the cross... God likewise pours out resurrection wherever a person's life is shaped by the shame and humiliation of the cross. To embrace the identity of being a sinner is a specific way that Paul can embrace shame and thereby have his life and ministry flooded with resurrection power. Jesus does not rise from the grave with a trumpet fanfare. He doesn't call in the armies to announce and wave flags that he has risen. A few moments after this scene, Jesus will meet with his disciples and he simply gathers with them and shares a meal with them. He invites them not to be afraid. He assures them he is not a ghost. And he reaches out to those who have longed for his return and he embraces them. That's what Jesus does because he's not about conceit. He's not about ambition. He's not about glory. He is about humility and honoring faithfulness to his father. And so as we gather this morning, we celebrate this resurrection because it is Jesus's gift to the world to give us new life. But that gift comes through his sacrifice and we get to be participants in that sacrifice. When our lives also embody the same heavenly trust in our Father that Jesus embodied and when we say, okay, we don't like loss. We don't like death. We tend to avoid the kinds of things that frighten us. We don't like to have unpleasant confrontations with people with whom we do not get along. Jesus invites us to go into those spaces with him Because when we go there by faith, his spirit and the power that his spirit has shows up in those places with us and for us. It's a resurrection power that everybody on the earth wants to have a part in, but Jesus shows the way there is something very different from what you and I are accustomed to. Jesus is inviting us all into that. And our world desperately needs a people who not only understand Jesus' ways to power, but who also embody them alongside him. Because we got a lot of messed up ideas of what power is. And Jesus is saying, you, my followers, have access to the same resurrection power that God used to raise me from the grave, and it is yours when by faith you walk in step with me place your faith in me and trust me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's our hope and that's our confidence. That's our trust on this day and on every day. And my prayer is so strong for our church and for the church in general that we would be people who are captured rightly by who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what God has demonstrated to the world by raising him from the grave. I want his story to become our story so that we're repeatedly captured by the glory that is the person of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating today. And that's what we're celebrating every day. Jesus, would you be honored by our lives today? I don't know any other way to say it except what a humbling reality it is to see you, the rejected one, the mocked one, the abused one, the spat upon one, to be in fact the one that the Father was most pleased with. Jesus, thank you that those things happen to you for our salvation that those things happen to you for our forgiveness. Would you give us the freedom and the boldness to come to you today and bring with you all our weaknesses, all our shame, all our humiliation, openly and honestly, so that we might be able to experience your forgiveness, your salvation, and your resurrection power in just those places knock down in us the conceit that I know Paul said he personally battled against, making us think that we have arrived spiritually or that we are better maybe than someone else. Humble us, show us the way of, of, of Christ and the way of the cross so that our lives truly might be a blessing to the world. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.